Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church. We pray the word of God leaves you encouraged and hopeful today. Uh, So we started a new series in the Psalms last week. Uh, We got through the first half of the introduction. So um, we're going to do the second half uh, of the introduction this week, and then next week we'll dive into Psalm uh, chapter 1, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun doing that. But last week we basically just talked about some of the basic stuff, um, who wrote the Psalms. There are multiple authors, more authors than any other book of Scripture, Um, and ultimately, obviously, the Holy Spirit inspired the Psalms. Uh, We talked about the date when the Psalms were written, book divisions, things like that. Um, we talked about how, a little bit about how we see Jesus in the Psalms and how the Psalms point towards Jesus and how they are prophetic um, in that sense. And then uh, we talked about different types of Psalms. We talked about how there's really three major types of Psalms. Psalms of praise, just praising God for creation and for his work in the world. Psalms of lament, when life has kind of knocked us around a little bit. And then uh, Psalms of thanksgiving when God has answered our prayer and moved specifically in our life. Uh, And then we talked about how personal the Psalms are. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today, but how personal they are. They were written personally, um, very personal to the psalmist, and they're meant to connect with us personally. And uh, talked about how many, many people sometimes have just this kind of dry um, relationship with God or this idea of God, and the relationship is not very... Uh, it's personal. I have the concepts right, but the, the relationship is not super personal. And so how important it is that the Psalms actually lead us into a personal relationship with God. Uh, today, in the second part of our, uh, today's the second part of our introduction to this series. And I want to ask and answer basically two questions. This is how we're going to frame this today. Uh, how should we read the Psalms and why should we read the Psalms? And there's multiple reasons, but we're going to kind of narrow it down. I think I have five things for each. So if you have your (laughs) study guides, we'll try to go through that pretty quick. Uh, A, how should we read the Psalms? Number one, and this is kind of an awkward word, uh, and my wife definitely said this is an awkward word. I didn't know how else to word it, but how should we read the Psalms? Number one, we should read the Psalms instructively, instructively. Psalm chapter one, verses one and two says this. Now, we're going to dive deeper into this psalm next week, but just the first two verses say this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The word law there is the word Torah. It actually refers, it means instruction, and, and we know the first Uh, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those were the Torah, the instructions, the word of God. And so so this means instruction. It means the word of God. That means that the Psalms are actually meant to instruct us. So they are poetry. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But but they're poetry that's intended to instruct us. Uh, A guy named Ray C. Stedman said this, the Psalms are much more than just poetry. Many of them bear the title maskal. If you look through the psalms, you'll see some of them say maskal. And that just means teaching psalm. It means that it's it's meant to teach us. It's meant to instruct us. And he says, they are thus intended to instruct the mind as well as encourage the heart. 
John Piper says, some poetry makes no claim to instruct the mind, but the Psalms do. They're meant to be instructive about God and man and life. And so these are, the Psalms as we dive into them, they are, they are poems, they are song lyrics, they're, they're hymns, they're prayers, they're all of those things, but they're also meant to instruct us, not just to um, inspire our hearts. They give us important instruction about all kinds of things. They teach us about God and man and human nature and how life is to be lived and and as Psalm 1 would say, how to live a blessed life. I don't know who doesn't want that, you know. Blessed is the one who doesn't do this and who does do this. And so how do I live a blessed life? And it starts by saying who, who meditates on and delights in the law, the instruction, the word of God. And so these are Psalms, poems, hymns, all of those things, but they're meant to instruct us. They're meant to teach us. And so they will teach us great and magnificent truths about God about who he is and what he's done and what he desires to do. They'll teach us about God's will for our lives, how he wants us to live, what he wants us to avoid. The Psalms do that. Um, and so we need to read them thoughtfully, not just um, to be inspired, but to learn and obey the instruction of God. Amen? Number two, how should we read the Psalms? Uh, we should read them literally. Literally. Some of you just went, wait, what? Didn't you just say that these are poems and these are song lyrics? We all know that poems and song lyrics have a lot of hyperbole and crazy stuff. And, and yeah, that's actually my point. This is a collection of poems and this is a collection of hymns and prayers and it's filled with poetic language. And you go, well, okay, great. Then why would I read it literally? Why would I read it? And yes, I think we should read the Psalms literally. In fact, I think we should read the entire Bible literally. But here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is, what other way is there to read the scriptures except according to the litera, that is the literary sense in which they're written? Okay, does that make sense? So we have to pay attention to the literary style that was used here. So we have to recognize when we're reading poetry. We have to recognize when we're reading historical content or or, or when we're reading wisdom, so we have to recognize what type of literature we're reading, and that informs how we read it. Listen, we do this all the time. Nobody picks up a greeting card and reads it like a murder mystery, right? Like, we don't do that. We understand literary genre all the time. We do it all the time. If you picked up a, if you picked up a, a greeting card and it started like a murder mystery, you'd be confused, right? Um, to read a poem like a, like a historical account would be inappropriate, right? If you pick up a book and the story begins once upon a time, right, you would recognize right away you're reading a, 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 from a genre that we know as fairy tales, right? Once upon a time. And then you would expect, you wouldn't be thrown if you read later in that book something like a, a talking tree that talks to a little girl. You wouldn't be thrown by that. But if you were reading the newspaper and you were reading a letter to the editor, right, and it started talking about a talking tree, you'd be like, whoa, I'm confused here, because genre informs how you read, right? Does that make sense? So, so the literary sense in which the Psalms are written should inform how we read them. Does that make sense? It's really important that we kind of grab that. Um, and we do this all the time. We'd be thrown off if we don't understand that the Psalms are, are poems and prayers and hymns, and it's important to understand what kind of uh, literature we're looking at. Some books of scripture are historical record. Others are sermons. Some are epistles or, or letters. Others are wise proverbs. Some are prophecy. 
Others are poetry. And so uh, C.S. Lewis, you guys ever seen the movie or read the books of the Chronicles of Narnia? C.S. Lewis was a phenomenal author and um, just a brilliant mind. But he said this, uh, he says, most emphatically, the Psalms must be read as poems, as lyrics, with all the licenses and all the formalities, all the hyperboles and the emotional rather than logical connections, which are proper for lyric poetry. So important to understand what type of literature we're reading here in the Psalms. So we've already acknowledged that they are, of course, meant to instruct us. They're meant to teach. And so this is why they're different than just any other style of poetry. You know, a lot of poetry is just meant to inspire. It's just meant to, to be vague. makes no claim that it's trying to instruct you. The Psalms do both. That's why with these first two points, we have to pull them together. They're meant to instruct us and teach us, and they're poetry. So we shouldn't actually come in here with a fine-tooth comb and say, well, it literally says like this. Yes, let's read it literally. What I mean by that is pay attention to the type of literature. Pay attention to the fact that it's poetry. The Psalms are packed with great, rich, deep theology and doctrine, but it's presented in such a way that it's intended to connect with our hearts and not just our heads. So if we don't grab that, we're going to be really confused in the Psalms. If we're just looking for instruction, if we never get inspired by what we read, if our heart never kind of does something as we're reading it, we're not reading it as poetry the way it should be. Does that make sense? Um, I've used this analogy many, many times before, but some are here who have never heard this, so I'll just kind of share this again. It's like this. Why is, why is poetry important? Why is getting to our heart really important? Imagine I took my wife to a nice candlelight dinner, right? And I actually got myself one of the like button-up shirts that I can't stand because I feel like I'm in a cage. And I, you know, actually did some kind of manscaping on my grizzly little wannabe beard right here. And I went out, I made myself look presentable and I did it right. And I took her out to dinner. We're at this beautiful candlelight dinner and I start writing her a note. And, I, and she's just like, well, and I'm making googly eyes at her. I'm like, oh, here you go. It's a really romantic moment. And then at some point, I just slide the note across the table to her, and I'm kind of wink at her like, this is for you, right? No, it's creepy. I'm not going to wink, so let's pull that back. But I hand her the note. She, she opens it, and it says, you have green eyes, and you stand five feet eight inches tall and you have brown hair. I like you. <laughs> That's it. Whoa, that was really inspiring, wasn't it? Like, now is she going to just start, like, swooning? Like, oh, no, what amazing. Like, how romantic. No, everything I said was true. It was factual. It was information for her head, but it did nothing for her heart. Right? Or I, I could slide across the table a little poetry from Lord Byron. And she could open it and it could say, she walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies and all that's best of dark and bright meet in her aspect and her eyes. It's a little different. Now, that may not be your favorite poem, but that's a little better than you have brown hair, <laughs> right? Or I like your green eyes. Because poetry does something to us. It does something to our hearts. There's a reason God speaks to us in and through poems. Because he, yes, he wants to instruct our minds, but he wants to go so much deeper than that. He wants our minds to have information, but he wants our hearts to be ignited towards him. And so we have poetry in the scriptures. 
really important that we grab that. Romeo could have looked up at the balcony with Julia out there and said, you're awful purdy. But he didn't do that. What did he say? He said, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east and Juliet is the sun. That's better, right? Isn't that better? The Psalms could simply say, be devoted to God. And they would be absolutely true. Instead, they say this, listen. Listen, daughter, don't miss a word. Forget your country and put your home behind you. Be here. The king is wild for you. He desires your beauty. That's Psalm chapter 45. You could have just said, be devoted to God. Above all else, it says, no, leave everything you know and everything you know. Be here with me because the king is wild about you. He desires your beauty. You see the difference? That's how God talks to you doesn't just want your head, he wants your heart. So important that we grab that. And Psalms are not just head stuff. They are. There's stuff for our brains there. There's stuff for our intellect. It's meant to instruct, but it's also heart stuff. They're intended to ignite our hearts with a greater hunger for intimacy with God. So it's important we understand it's poetry, but even in identifying the genre as poetry, right, we could still be nerds about it and just get all in our heads, couldn't we? we and it's not that this is bad, it's okay to do the brain stuff, but I, I could say, well, it's poetry. We need to understand. I could teach for weeks on the literary devices used in the Psalms. And, oh, it's poetry. Let's look at the types of poetry. and, and all that. We could talk about the use of various types of parallelism and imagery or secondary poetic devices like inclusio and acrostics because that's all over the Psalms. And that's not bad. That'd be cool to do, but then we'd be getting the facts maybe and missing the heart, right? It would kind of be like, you have a song where you ever heard like, an amazing guitar solo that like inspired you or something. I'm, a, I'm like a, I love music in that sense. It's like there's a good, you know, I'm an old guy. So it's like Eric Clapton maybe playing something, bending one note for five minutes and he's like, I tell you want to cry, okay? He's ha if you ever had an emotional reaction to music like that? So it'd be a bit like taking that emotional experience and then examining the picking techniques that he used or the time signature that the song is in. That's not bad. But does it do something maybe to take away from just your simple enjoyment? Take your favorite love song. One that, have you ever sat in a room in the dark and cried because you played the sad song? <laughs> Whatever. What if you just, instead of doing that, you just stop and you diagram the, the you know, poetic devices that the, the that, uh, lyricist used? Well, not quite, I mean, it's a head stuff, it's cool, but it's not, you're not going to quite have the same emotional reaction to it, right? Most people just listen to the song and enjoy it and appreciate it and are moved by it, okay? So what I'm saying is it's not bad to do the head stuff, but understand, when we take these psalms in, there's cool, it's all kinds of cool ways to study this and we could get into our heads about it, that's not a bad thing. But if we do all of that and never let our heart, never just enjoy the song, never just let our hearts connect, then we've missed one of the primary purposes of the Psalms. And so that's what I mean by read it literally. It's poetry. Let's read it that way. Third, how should we read the Psalms? If you have your notes and you're filling in the blanks, number three, if you need notes, just raise your hand. Somebody will grab them for you. Number three, we should read the Psalms emotionally. Emotionally. A guy named C. John Collins says this, the Psalms do not simply express emotions 
When sung in faith, they actually shape the emotions of the godly. Allow your emotions to connect with the Psalms. It's okay to get emotional. And peace and hope and joy and elation and triumph and on and on and on. Whatever season of life you find yourself in, whatever is going on in your life, whatever emotions you're experiencing, they find expression in the Psalms. The psalmists get it. They've been there. They understand that human like you and express it all in very raw and real honesty to God because God knows where we're at and what we're feeling and what we're thinking anyways. And the psalmists have this beautiful personal relationship with God where they come and they bring them everything. If they're like, I, I, I'm miserable, they say, I'm miserable. They don't, they don't put church face on with God. They try to sound like somebody they're not or something or some way that they're not. The Psalms are intended to give expression to our emotions and to help shape our emotions. And here's the thing. So too many people, we said this, too many people have this dead, dry relationship with God. It's wooden. It's wooden, okay? They may be theologically sound. Maybe they're believing all the right stuff. Check, check, check. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. But there's no real personal connection or intimacy. It's, it's not, there's no emotion. And, and maybe this is because we've, in some ways, been taught to view emotions as bad. Oh, don't be so emotional. Like it's a bad thing. Or maybe because we've seen in some, you know, church experiences like, the abuse of emotionalism that sacrifices truth on the altar of an emotional experience. Well, I had this great emotional experience with the Lord and God said this to me and it was beautiful, it's emotional, but what God said to you was like against scripture. So it's like, oh, we go, oh, okay. You're so emotional, you've lost truth, right? And so we, so we, we back away from the emotional, right? But I, I think if being ruled by our emotions is an error, and it is, we shouldn't just be ruled by our emotions to take us wherever they want to go. I also think that having an emotionless relationship with God is also an error. Our emotions aren't bad. They're God-given. Like, we're emotional people because God created us that way. In fact, because God created us in his image and he's an emotional God. God expresses, has and expresses emotions. All over scripture we see it. We try to make God emotionless, like this unfeeling Gandalf in the sky, just stand there and executes judgments, you know? And it's like, no, God is feeling. God feels. And scriptures are filled with that. And we're created in his image and likeness. And so we have emotions because we're creating the image of a God who has emotions and expresses emotions. So emotions themselves aren't bad. So when we approach the Psalms, we need to read them emotionally. Don't just ask, what does this make me think? Ask that. What should I learn from this? How does this instruct me? But also ask, how does this make me feel? And why does it make me feel that? And how does this give expression maybe to something that I haven't known how to express? An emotion that's maybe has this tapped into anything in me emotionally? It's important to do that because the Psalms appeal to the whole person. If you've never, let me just put this way, if you've never cried out to God in frustration or fear, maybe you've never been honest with Him. 
If you've never said, God, I don't get it, and I don't understand, and I, or whatever. If you've never been that raw and real. I'm not talking about irreverent. I'm not talking about disrespectful. I'm talking about raw and real and honest because we have the thoughts and we feel those feelings. If we've never expressed them with God, maybe we've never been honest with them. And on the, on the positive side, if, if I've never been moved in my heart, if I've never had this moment of just absolute joy or I'm stirred to just gratitude or spontaneous outbursts of thanksgiving by the grace and goodness of God. If you never had that moment that we talked about last week where you're hiking the trail and you come around the corner and the sun is setting and the beauty of creation just takes your breath away and you go, God, you're beautiful and your heart does something. If we've never had that moment where we ex expressed our gratitude for the goodness of God, maybe we haven't tasted it yet. And the Psalms invite us, Psalm 34, 8, invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so God is an emotional God. We are emotional people, and it's okay. It's not okay to be ruled and led and devastated by our emotions. It's okay to recognize we have emotions, and they in and of themselves are not bad. The Psalms express them for us and help us shape them. Fourth, how should we read the Psalms? Number four, we should read the Psalms personally. And let me try to get to this a little bit quicker. But there's a tendency and I think a grave error in many Christian circles to think that it's all about us. So what we've done is we start, we have, churches do this all the time. And I'm not picking on, I'm not like we're so much better. It's not that because we can slip into this error just like anybody else. But <clears throat> there's a really easy way sometimes to draw a crowd to a church. And that's to preach messages that tickle people's ears. And so preach messages that are only designed to just make people feel good. And so we're going to avoid stuff that might challenge or confront people in the scriptures. We're just going to say things that people want to hear. We're just going to encourage them because really it's all about And we get this idea because we're consumers. We consume everything and we consume church and we consume the scriptures and we just shop around for the thing that we like. Okay? And, and so there's a tendency now. We've kind of trained ourselves and been trained by culture to think that it is all about me. I deserve it. Life is a story about me and you're all just kind of in it. We think like that. We wouldn't say it out loud, but we, we have that kind of view. And the reality is we're part of God's story, but the story's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. And so, so that's, a, that's a problem. When we think, oh, life is all about me and I'm the main character and the Bible's all about me and I'm the hero of every story in there and all that stuff. It's like, no, Jesus is the hero of every story in the Bible. Um, and you might be the Pharisee it's talking about right here. You know what I mean? Let the scriptures challenge you, okay? But in reaction to that, some have begun to say, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus. And I understand, I appreciate that. It's far better than it's all about me. Okay? It's not about me. It's all about God. It's all about, and that's, there's a lot of truth to that. Certainly better than the first, but it's not, in my view, completely accurate. And here's why. I think where the first one, the first error, leads us to read the scriptures like we're the hero of every story. That second idea runs the risk of teaching us to read the scriptures like they have nothing to do with me or my daily life and circumstances. And the very fact that we have been given by God the scriptures means that God is trying to interact with us and wants us to learn things and come to know him in a deeper way, in a personal relationship. And so I would rather we said things like, it's not ultimately about me because it has at least something to do with you. 
The scriptures have plenty to do with you. It's why we've been given them. And so I understand, I appreciate, the, uh, to me they're just both errors. One error is slightly better than the other, but they're still both errors to say, oh, you know, it's all about me or it's not about me at all. It's like, no, no, hang on a second. It's ultimately about Jesus, but it is also about you and your relationship with Jesus and what he's calling you into. Very, very important to read the scriptures personally. So we have to avoid, uh, avoid both ditches. Uh, the Psalms give us a beautiful picture. Here's why I'm bringing all this up. The Psalms give us this beautiful picture of a God who interacts with people, interacts with these psalmists, and psalmists who interact with God. It's a very, very personal relationship. You see it all over the place. It's very, very personal. R.C. Sproul, a pastor and teacher, says, whenever I read the Psalms, I feel like I'm eavesdropping on a saint having a personal conversation with God. And so I am suggesting that a major part of the reason why this book has been given to us by the Holy Spirit and passed down through the generations and is in our hands today is not just so that we would sit back and say, wow, what a wonderful, close, intimate relationship those people had with God. But so that as we peek in on the psalmist's intimate prayers and poems to the Lord, our own hearts might be stirred and awakened to desire that same kind of intimacy with him. I think that's part of, a major part of what God is doing through the scriptures and specifically through the psalms. As he's calling us to say, hey, you see how close I am with them and how close they are with me? I want that with you. I want that with you. Read them personally. So it's true, the Psalms are not ultimately about you, but they are partially about you. And this series then is ultimately about Jesus, but it's also about how God himself wants to draw you into a deeper, and me, deeper, more intimate personal relationship with him. And so as we read through the scriptures, as you read at home through the Psalms, personalize it. Personalize it. If a word or a verse applies or stirs your heart or challenges you or encourages you, take it, lay hold of it, pray it, believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today through his living word. Amen? Number five, I gotta go a little bit quicker and hopefully I can. Number five, how should we read the Psalms? Number five, worshipfully. It's an awkward word too, but I didn't know how else to word this one. Worshipfully, okay? Read the Psalms worshipfully. That is to say what I just said. The Psalms are inspired by God. Yes, they were written by David and Moses and Asaph and the sons of Korah and all the people we talked about last week. Yes, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things. The Holy God himself inspiring the psalmist to pray these prayers and write these poems and then gathering and collecting that for us. So these are not just man's words to God or about God. We're not just reading David's words to God. When we open up the Psalms and the scriptures, we are reading God-inspired, God-breathed words. Does that make sense? It's not like reading the lyrics to your favorite band song. It's not the same. It's different. It's different. God is in this. 
Now, God may be in that in a different way, but God has inspired this. And that's what scripture says over and over again. The Holy Spirit guided what was written and arranged here. Let me show it to you. Mark chapter 12, verse 36. I think it's in your notes. Mark chapter 12, verse 36. Okay? This is Jesus speaking. And he says, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Okay, what does he say? Jesus is actually quoting Psalm chapter 110. But he says that David spoke by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus himself believed that the scriptures and believes that the scriptures, including the Psalms, are inspired by God. Jesus acknowledged that God has inspired the Psalms. That David spoke, but he spoke by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a couple more. In John chapter 10, <clears throat> just jot these down if you're a nerdy note taker like me. In John chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus quotes Psalm 82. And he says this, scripture cannot be broken. In John chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus quotes Psalm 41, and he says, the scripture will be fulfilled. Let me give you a cool one, okay? We're gonna look at this a little bit, but in the book of Acts, when the disciples were threatened to never preach in the name of Jesus again, they got together and they prayed for boldness, and they prayed that prayer based on Psalm 2, which we're gonna look at in a couple weeks. They prayed it based on Psalm 2, which we know, they acknowledge, was written by David, okay? But here's what they said. When they heard it, Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 26, when they heard it, the threats, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, through the mouth of David, your servant said, by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? So they quoted Psalm 2.1. They said it was spoken through David by the Holy Spirit. You see what's happening there? So we can't just say, oh, David just wrote that. I can take it or leave it. No, no, it says David spoke by the inspiration and breath of the Holy Spirit. So you're not just reading a poem that some dude named David wrote. You're reading something that the Holy Spirit himself inspired David to write. This is the unbroken testimony of Scripture about itself, that it is given by the inspiration of God. And so we can't just approach it like, ah, I like that part, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that. I don't like that part, I'm going to leave it. We take it. The Psalms included. So as we read and meditate on and sing and pray the Psalms in the next couple weeks, our hearts and minds are being shaped by God himself. And so we should read this book worshipfully. Okay, I'll do this one a lot quicker, I promise. Section B, why should we read the Psalms? And let me land this plane, and then next week we'll get into Psalm chapter one. So five reasons, real quick, why should we read the Psalms? Number one, the Psalms will deepen your personal worship of God. The Psalms will deepen your worship. Let the Psalms teach you how to praise God and how to exalt the Lord. Just this morning, we opened up Psalm chapter 103, and we talked about all the things in prayer before service. We, we looked at all the things that Psalm 103 says about God, and then we just praised him for those things. This is praise you, God, that you redeem our life from the pit of destruction. Thank you and praise you that you forgive our sins and heal us and all these beautiful things that Psalm 103 says. Let the Psalms inform your worship and teach you how to praise God and what to praise him for. I encourage singing the Psalms. Pick a Psalm that's just beautiful to you and make up a little tune to it. 
tune for it or find a tune for it that someone else has made and sing it. Praise God. Worship God in your private time and together as we come together. Let the Psalms deepen your worship. Number two, why should we read the Psalms? Because the Psalms will deepen your prayer life. They will deepen your prayer life. This is one of the, the best benefits that I've personally experienced. I, I told you last week, I spent 2016, the whole year, I normally go through like a read the Bible in a year plan. And last year, I just felt like God wanted me to camp out in this book, in the Psalms. And one of the things that happened to me last year was that my prayer life went deeper because I was spending more time in the Psalms. And so the Psalms will deepen your prayer life. R.C. Sproul again says this, in these Psalms, we have a collection of 150 prayers that were inspired originally by the Holy Ghost. And so if you want to know how God is pleased and honored in prayer, why not immerse yourself in the prayers that he himself has inspired? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the more deeply we grow into the Psalms and the more often we pray them as our own, the more simple and rich will our prayers become. And so let the Psalms teach you how to pray. Look how honest they are and be that honest with God. Look how emotional they are. Be that, let, give yourself permission to, to let the Psalms teach you how to pray. And then, I mean, this is a cool idea. I've done this. This is one of the ways that I've grown. Pray these Psalms. Read a Psalm. When you, man, sometimes I just want to enter his, we, we need to enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. If you don't have the words to praise him, find a Psalm because there's Psalms that will give you the words. Lord, thank you that you are this and this and this. The Psalms say that. Let the Psalms teach you how to pray. Pray the Psalms. Pick a Psalm and pray it. And thank God for who he is and all he's done. If you're going through a struggle, find a psalm that can relate and pray that. You need to repent. We're going to get to this one, man. You, you, you've sinned and God is calling you on the carpet. You need to get before him and repent and clear your heart out. Psalm chapter 51, go right there. That's a go-to for me. I just like bookmark that sucker, you know. It's like I need to repent before the Lord. Psalm chapter 51 and just pray it like it's your own words to God. It'll deepen your prayer life. So the Psalms will deepen your prayer life. Number three, why should we read the Psalms? Because the Psalms will deepen your intimacy with God. We've already talked about all of these. I'm just hammering them home as we, as we close. Don't just read the Psalms or sing the Psalms or pray or study the Psalms without encountering Jesus in these pages. You know you can come to the Bible and still miss Jesus, right? Tons of people do it. You can do deep Bible study and never encounter Jesus Christ, never actually have a conversation with him, never, learn, never let your relationship with him grow deeper. I knew a guy who was an atheist, who had, I loved him, great guy, wonderful guy. He had the book of Romans committed to memory. He knew the scriptures better than most Christians I know, and it benefited him nothing because he had no personal relationship with Jesus. So meet, don't just come to the scriptures, come to Jesus through the scriptures and let Jesus come to you and teach you things about himself through the word. The goal is not to learn more about the Bible, it's to learn more about the God that you have a relationship with. Does that make sense? Very, very important. Very important that we get that. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, you diligently search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life and you haven't come to me. He says, you got the scriptures, you missed me. We can have doctrine and theology and teaching and be all that great and still miss Jesus. The scriptures are wildly important. Because through them, we draw closer to the God of the scriptures. Does that make sense? The scriptures are not God. They're inspired by the God we have a relationship with. 
It would be like reading a book about the ocean and never stepping foot into the ocean and experiencing the wave for yourself. It would be like worshiping that book and never ever experiencing it for yourself. Or writing books about, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro and never stepping foot on the mountain. You can come to the book and miss the personal relationship and experience. So the Psalms will deepen your intimacy with God if you let them. Number four, why should we read the Psalms? Because the Psalms will give expression to your emotions. We've already said this, but let the Psalms give expression to your emotions. Okay? I heard a phrase. I wanted to say this again because I think it's really important. This phrase stuck with me and maybe it'll help one or two or more of you. I heard a guy say, you know, we, we have all these emotions. We don't know what to do with them. And so we vent them and we go and, and then we say things out of anger and then we like regret it. And then we say things out of pain and we regret it. And we do things out of pain and anger and whatever, all these emotions that we experience. He said the psalmists were amazing because they weren't perfect. But like David and the other psalmists, they made psalms. So when they felt rage, they didn't go rage. They made psalms. They expressed it before God. They gave expression to their emotions to God. Lord, my enemies are hounding me. They didn't go out and say, oh, you're my enemy, blah, blah, and start all this stuff, okay? They said, God, they're hunting my life. And I feel this way and this way and this way about that. And, and sometimes I think this, and I know that maybe that's not right, but this is how I feel, this is how I think. And they made psalms, and that's prayer, and that's emotions being expressed, and let it all kind of combine together in your prayer life, in your intimacy with God. Let the psalms give expression to your emotions so that you don't have to go out and vent them and spew them everywhere. Not that it's bad to talk about your emotions. You understand what I'm saying. We can go wreck our lives with our emotions. Bring it to Jesus. Make psalms. Practice the art of psalm making before God. Number five, final thing. Why should we read the psalms? Because the psalms will ultimately elevate your view of God. Will elevate your view of God. The psalms are packed with statements about the greatness and goodness of God. I say both of those and I'm gonna to try to refrain from teaching on what I just said. Because God is both great and powerful, and amazing, and almighty, and omnipotent, and good. Imagine if he were that great and not good. Imagine if he were all good, but not powerful enough to do anything in his goodness. God is both great and good, and that should provoke us to worship, and the scriptures are filled with the greatness and goodness of God. The Psalms are filled with the greatness and goodness of God. And as you read the Psalms, your view of God will be elevated. You will see God more clearly for who he is. Psalm 2, we're going to get there in a couple weeks. It is all about how God is sovereign over all things. And though nations rage against him, he sits in heaven and laughs at that. God is all powerful. That should elevate your view of God. Psalm chapter 8, verse, let's rattle through these because they're in your notes. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. 
Psalm chapter 83, verse 18, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You see how the Psalms will elevate your view of God. Psalm chapter 86, verses 8 through 10, there is none like you among all the gods, lowercase g, false gods. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great, and you do wondrous things, and you alone are God. Psalm chapter 96, verses 4 through 9. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 97, verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the whole earth rejoice, and let the many coastlands be glad. Psalm 145, verse 3, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And so my prayer, as we dive into this beloved book, is that we will be provoked to worship, that our prayer life will grow deeper than ever before, that we will experience an intimacy with God unlike that which we have ever known, and that we will know God, and that our view of God will be elevated until there's nothing and no one we treasure more in all the earth. We pray that this book will wreck us forever in a good way. Amen.